This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right, how is everybody tonight? Who's glad to be at church on a Wednesday night? Come on. I am so excited to be here. Man, I, you know, I just, I love to be in the, in the presence of the Lord and in the Lord's house. We had some great services Sunday. We talked about the fear of the Lord on Sunday morning, and we're hearing lots of good feedback on that. And I promise you, uh, it's life-changing. So i I be here this coming Sunday. Uh, we're going to have the wonderful, beautiful Thanksgiving dinner. It's going to be, it's, it's my second favorite service of the year, people. Second favorite. Uh, I'll bring out my famous Thanksgiving sweater that I've worn every year since 2007, and it's going to be an absolutely epic time. And we're going to study the fear of the Lord some more. But tonight, uh, you know, um, have you ever, you've, you've seen something that you found interesting, and you're like, I wonder how that works. You ever seen that, especially, you know, if you're mechanical or, or you like to build things, you, you know, maybe you see somebody has something or you, some new invention, and you're like, I wonder how that works. And in fact, there's TV shows about this. There's a website called HowStuffWorks.com. And, and you can just, you can find out all sorts of stuff about how things work. And I've often looked at other Christians' lives, other, other successful, mature Christians, and I'm like, gee, I wonder how that works. Why, why does it always work for them? What's going on there? And so tonight I want to talk about, and I may, we may do this for a few weeks, but tonight we're going to talk about how stuff works. I want to talk about my favorite people in the world tonight. Stable people. Come on. Can I talk about stable people for a minute tonight? Come on. Well, let's go ahead and look at this for a few minutes. But I love stable people. People that, I mean, there may not be anything uh, from the outside that looks like this is some superstar, somebody that, I mean, this is just some amazing, talented person. I love people that can successfully do the exact same thing over and over and over again and get incredible results. Stability is the key element to being a mature Christian. You don't have to have some booming revelation from heaven. You don't have to have, you know, you've gone out and won a million people. That's all good. We should hope for those things. But if you can just get down being stable and following God every single day, even when nobody else does, even when it seems like, well, I've read that and and they've preached on that before. A stable person never says that. We've preached on faith 50 times in the last two years. We're going to talk about it again. I can tell you right now you're not a stable person if that's what comes to your mind. If if, if you're like, well, I've, I've heard this, then you don't get it, man. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And a stable person's like, man, there must be more to learn about this. And, you know, uh, Brother Hagen always taught on Mark 11, 23 and 24, in verse 22. And, and somebody one time came up to him and said, I've heard you preach this several times. You must have 10 sermons off of just this one verse. He's like, no, I don't. I've got 50. Like 50, ver- 50 sermons off of the exact same verse? Yes, because a stable person will keep digging and digging until they get it. And so tonight, if you ever wondered, gee, I wonder how they're so successful, or I wonder how they're just so stable, we're going to discover how stable people work. Does that sound exciting? All right, well, let's do this tonight. Uh, Let's go ahead and open in prayer, and we're going to break this down into a few things here. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, so much that we have a church, Lord, to come and worship you in, Lord. We have friendly people around us, our family, that are here to learn the word of God with us. And I pray tonight that as we open your holy, holy, perfect, perfect word, Lord, 
that you will make it become alive to us, Lord, that, that we'll see things that we've never even seen before, Lord, and that you're going to change us for your glory. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said? So the first thing I'm going to say about stable people is this. You're wondering, well, how, how does this stuff work? Well, the first thing is they always do the same thing, but they don't get bored. The, the most successful stable people I know, they have a routine with Jesus. that they, they do the exact same thing every day. And you're wondering, man, how's, how's he so blessed? Did God just appear out of heaven and, and give him some booming revelation? Well, most people I know that didn't happen to, but the really successful ones, they do the exact same thing over and over, and it doesn't make them bored. They realize that, hey, I'm prepping for battle someday. I may not be in battle right now, but someday I will. And the more that I'm prepared, the more that I'm familiar with this, I'll be ready to go when that moment arrives. And so when you get stable at doing the exact same thing, the fundamentals over and over, you will not choke in the heat of battle. You won't choke. When the battle finally does come, when it finally is game seven, when it's finally the Super Bowl and you're up, man, you won't choke if you've mastered the basic things, the fundamentals, loving your neighbor as yourself. You've, you've, you've worked on that and you've, and you've gotten good at it. You, you, you've gotten good at praying. You've gotten good at opening your Bible when you didn't feel like doing it. You've gotten good at singing worship and praise to God even when you weren't in the mood. When you can get good at the, and these, none of this is rocket science. These are basic fundamental Christian things. But when you can get so good at these fundamentals, when the moment arrives, when the enemy attacks, you will be ready to fight. And I've told this story, but, but uh, you know, uh, being from Indiana, Larry Bird is kind of like a hero around there, if you've watched much basketball. And so Larry Bird, okay, I think it was his sophomore year of high school, he broke his leg, and everyone was like, "Oh, great! You know, there, there goes, there he goes. He, he's done for. He'll never get. I mean, he'll never be. He had so much potential." But what most people didn't realize is that while Larry had a broken leg, Larry didn't stop practicing. Larry got up every single morning and would crutch his way to the high school gym every morning. And we're talking about. I'm telling you right now, winter time in Indiana, it's a little colder than Barstow. Okay. It's just a tight, just a smidge. There's a little bit more snow and precipitation and ice. And, and so Larry would go every morning to the high school and shoot 500 free throws every morning. This took hours, but he'd shoot it, go get his own rebound, shoot it again, and he could make 100, I mean, just nonstop hit free throws. And everyone else just thinks he's doing nothing. While they're all in bed sleeping in, he's out there doing the fundamentals and nobody really cares about free throws we watch basketball if you you know if you don't know a lot about it you want to see some slam dunks you want to see the warriors shoot 67 three-pointers a game which is you know you want to see you want to see the nobody cares about free throws but when the game's on the line free throws are the most important thing that there is and so somehow the team makes it to the state sectionals which is a big deal even without him and 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 larry his legs healed now but he hasn't played at all so they put him in in the fourth quarter of this game, and sure enough, he gets fouled. And everyone's like, oh boy, here we go. Guys have touched a basketball in five months, and now we're putting him to the free throw line. They didn't realize this is the exact guy that you wanted the free throw line. Because when everybody else was bored with free throws, when everybody else was sleeping in and snoozing, Larry was out there doing the exact same thing 500 times 
every morning, every day, when it was cold, when it was, no matter what, he did the exact same thing over and over and over. Sure enough, they put him in, he goes to the free throw line, boom, boom, hits both free throws and they win the game. Now, would that happen for somebody that's like, I don't, I don't want to work on free throws, are you kidding? You kidding me? I mean, this is boring. This is fun. This is the stuff. I want to work on my dunk. I want to work on my ball skill. I, I want to work on the outside shot. But no, he was ready when that moment arrived. And so I'm telling you right now, you may not believe me, but stable people, they get so strong because they do the exact same thing over and over and over when everybody else is bored. They're still doing it. I've seen my dad read his Bible for hours every morning for 33 years when other people were bored with it. Whenever people were, I'm in that dry season, brother. Well, you press through it, man. We've all been in the dry season. You press through it. And so I've seen this day after day after day after day. I call him even even now. I call him just the other day. Well, I'm, I'm in the Word right now, but I can I can work on that later today. Same thing. I've known so many people that... I'm, I'm just saying that they, they don't have that dedication. They're like, man, I've read James like a hundred times. I, I've read this. Read it again. You think you know it all? You think that you've tapped out God's wisdom and understanding? You think you've tapped out all the revelation that there is in the word of God? You're, I mean, if you do, you are, the, you are either the biggest liar in the history of the world or you've just got some revelation that not, that not even Paul had. But the truth is you have not tapped out the revelation that there is in the word of God. And so you can't get bored with this stuff. You do the exact same thing over and over again if you're going to be successful and if you're going to be stable. And I'm telling you now, I don't want to be around unstable people. Unstable people drive me up the wall. I cannot stand. And I mean, that may sound mean, but I don't have time for that, man. We, we've got a generation to reach here. We've got, we've got you know, a hurting city and community. We've got needs everywhere. And it's not going to get done with unstable people that can't even bother to stay committed to the Lord from one week to the next. We need stable people. Let me show you a story here in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel 6. Amen. Yes, Lord. Amen. We're going to have to start pumping up the volume in these Wednesday night crowds. And just, <laughs> yeah. You guys... I, I'm, this is a Pentecostal church now. You all sound like some Lutherans or something, and I don't mean that mean. <laughs> yeah, thank you. They're good people, but they're not loud. All right. So Daniel chapter 6, and here's the story of Daniel. Now, Daniel is 100% committed to God. Now, it wasn't easy. Some of you think you've had it hard, but you haven't had it that hard compared to Daniel. Here he is, a Hebrew, a, a, a children of Israel, a child of Israel, and they've been overtaken by the Babylonians. He's lost everything. They, they captured him and all his people. They're captives. They don't get to do anything they want to do. They have no freedoms. They're told what to do. Well, Daniel, he serves in the king's palace because he's super, super smart by the Lord's help. He's, he's a genius. And so him and a few of the other Jewish boys, they serve literally in the king's palace and he keeps getting promoted and promoted, okay? And so it starts to make other people jealous, like, man, he's like the favorite or something. He always moves up. What's with this guy? So they decide, well, here's what we'll do. Uh, we, we, need to, we need to get him in trouble, but he never does anything wrong. So we'll just get the king to make up some kind of law that, he, that we know he'll break. 
what's the only law that Daniel's going to break? Well, Daniel, he prays three times every single day, 365 days a year, seven days a week. He always prays three times a day with his bedroom windows open towards Jerusalem because he wanted more than anything for the Jewish people to have Jerusalem back. It did eventually happen. But here we are, and, and, and he does this every day, and other people are like, oh, my gosh, get over it. It's obviously not working. Has anyone told you that? You, you can't, you, catch on, brother. You've been praying for that, for, and, and it hasn't happened. It's obviously not working. I would say, back off right now. Back off, because it, it, it's happening. It is going to happen, because I will reap in due season if I faint not. And so Daniel, he always does this, and the king, so they make a law that you can't pray to anybody but the king himself. And, of course, Daniel's like, oh, well, I'm not going to obey that. I'm going to go do what I've always done every day. And so Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. And so what I love about this stable person is he didn't get out there even with a megaphone and just blast it in their face. He didn't even try to draw attention to himself. He certainly didn't back down. He just did what he had always done. He didn't do any less. He didn't even have to amp it up and do any more. He did what he had always done. Nothing changed. They signed a law that he didn't agree with, and nothing changed for Daniel. Do you get that? You get that? Nothing changed. He just did what he had always done. So, of course, he's caught breaking the law. And there's going to be punishment for it. And uh, the punishment, as you know, you know this story. He was thrown into this den of lions. And your chances of survival in a den of lions for the evening are not that well. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're in there on your own, you're probably not coming out of that den of lions. They're probably going to kill you. And so he's thrown in there. And the king's sad because he really likes Daniel, but he has to enforce the law. So let's look here at verse 16. Daniel 6, verse 16. It says, So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully. Notice the king noticed. He didn't say, May your God, who I see you serve sometimes, man. I hope he rescues you. May your God, whom you nod to God every, every Sunday, and you know, get, pay your God tax. May, may, may your God, whom you are a part-time believer in, serve serve you and and, and rescue you he did not say that he used this beautiful word one of the most beautiful words that we have faithfully may your god whom you serve so faithfully rescue you then a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and that means anybody that were to mess with that they were going to die the royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue daniel Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Look at this. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully, say that with me, faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. What if there was no answer? What if he asked all this, Daniel, are you there? And it was as quiet as this church is. Daniel, are you there? 
that would have been the worst thing ever. Because that would have meant Daniel, the God that he served so faithfully, did not have his back when it counted. But guess what? Daniel did answer and he said, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him for he had trusted in his God. Notice that he's thrown in this den. He's pulled out and all this stuff. Not a scratch was found on him. Do you realize the significance of that? Somebody that faithfully serves God. Somebody that's a stable Christian. You could go through the lion's den, but you're going to come through it without even a scratch on you. And they're going to say, you, you were in the lion's den? I could, there's no, how, I could never tell. There's nothing even wrong with you. That's right. The God whom I serve so faithfully brought me through it. Amen. That's a big deal. That, because sometimes, yeah, there's a lion's den. Sometimes there's a fiery furnace. Sometimes there's a Goliath to fight. But God has a way of bringing his children through it to the place where you don't even know they ever even faced that thing. When I go, I, I get my blood drawn sometimes for stuff. And, I, and there's been times that they're like, you're lying to me that you had leukemia, right? You're making that up. No, I'm not making it up. There's no trace that you ever even had it. Usually we could tell that from this or that that you had it somewhere at some point in time. You promised you've never had blood transfusions. I have had them. I, no, I'm not making that. I have had blood transfusion. I, ha, I did have leukemia, but there's no trace. Why? Because God has a way of bringing his children through it. But I'm telling you, this doesn't happen to unstable people. A double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. Don't expect this stuff if you're not a stable, committed Christian. Because when the heat of battle comes, you're going to doubt whether God's going to really come through for you. But we're talking to stable Christians tonight. And... I've done a lot of funerals over the last five or so years, thanks to Melinda and many others, at least. <laughs> but, in fact, I'm doing one tomorrow. But one thing that I really, out of, out of doing many, many funerals, I, it always captivates me. I love it. You know, when, when I see a story of, of, of a couple that was married for a super long time. That's like, I, it's incredible. I've seen couples that are married 60, 65 years. And I'm like, that is... That's commitment because I know somewhere in those 65 years that his breath stunk. I know somewhere in there she burned the scrambled eggs or something. There had to be some conflict within there that they overcame. Am I right, married people? And so I was just looking up, and I showed this a while back, but the, the couple that has the Guinness record for the longest marriage is an American couple. They're married 87 years. They both lived to be 105 years old, and they were married for 87 years. In fact, I've got their picture there. That, well, what's their name? Um, yeah, Zelmyra and Herbert Fisher. They broke the Guinness World Record for the longest marriage. They, they got married on May 13, 1924. And in 2008, uh, they earned the record when they were at 84 years. But uh, in 2011, Herbert passed away at 105 years old. And a few years later, in 2013, Zelmyra passed away at 105 years old. But they've been married 87 years at the time that he passed. And so a magazine sat down to do an interview with them like, you must have the golden secret that none of us have. 87 years, what's your secret? And so everybody was expecting some earth-shaking revelation. And, and here's the answers they gave. And it's funny because all it points to is people that were stable. 
They were just simply stable. They had no major secrets. But they asked what the main key to their success was. They said, well, we are both Christians and believe in God. Marriage is a commitment to the Lord. We pray with with and for each other every single day. That's our secret. What? Their secret was that they prayed with each other and for each other every day. And that was that was it. 87 years. There's no I don't see any breaking ground earth shaking revelation right there. They just did the same thing every day for 87 years. The exact same thing. 87 years. Some of us couldn't do the exact same thing 87 days in a row. I'm not being mean, but am I right? 87, 87 minutes. 87 seconds. Come on. Let's get real here. He said 87 years every day. 87 times 365 and throw in a few leap years. Come on. That is a lot of doing the exact same thing, but never giving up and doing it over and over and over and over. That's absolutely incredible. But I'm telling you, man, I love stable people. You can count on them to come through, man. And so we're talking about stable people. They will do the exact same thing over and over, even when other people seem to be getting bored with it. And, and right now, you've got to realize that this is what all of us are called to. There's nobody in here that's called, well, you know, I'm, I'm just called to be a part-timer. I didn't really sign up for this, this full-time Christianity thing. Yes, you are absolutely called to be a stable, consistent Christian. And so let's look at the next thing here. We're going to look at the next thing about stable people because we love them. We love them. And, 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 uh, and, and there's no great mystery to this. But the second thing we'll say is this, is that stable people, they don't quit when it gets tough. Stable people do not quit when it gets tough. Can I get an amen on that? And so I, I read I read this little poem. It's kind of a famous poem, and I'm not usually like the poet guy because that's a little fruity, but I do like this poem. And so it says, when things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile, but you have to sigh. When care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Don't quit. Do not quit. We're talking about stable people. So I'm going to look at a few more of Daniel's friends really quick. You got a few more minutes, people? Okay. So let's look here at Daniel chapter 3. We'll actually flip back a page. Daniel chapter 3. And here's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who loves these guys? They're pretty awesome. So here we are, some of Daniel's friends. And shockingly, they're also very consistent and stable in their walk with the Lord. They pretty much do the exact same thing every day. They go to work and do that. And then they pray to God, they worship God, they won't bow down to anybody else. Pretty much the exact, and to the outsider, it's like, this is boring. If I was wanting to, you know, shadow somebody and, and get the secrets to their success, these guys all seem like really boring people. But the most successful people, I'm not talking about with money, I'm talking about spiritually. The most successful people that, that are people that sometimes would never even stand behind a pulpit. Think about that. We instantly think about, you know, again, Billy Graham or Kenneth. And they're all, they're amazing. Some of the best of all time. 
But some of the strongest spiritual people that, that we'll ever know, you may not ever hear of them. But they, they served God for 87 years. They raised kids that served God. They served in the church. They tithed. They didn't quit when it got tough. They just kept on going. And they are successful, successful, stable people. So Daniel chapter 3. Let's look at verse 14. And so here we are in this story. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has some massive ego issues. He's kind of stuck on himself. And so he makes this giant statue that he wants everybody to bow down to. It's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he says, whenever the music starts, everybody bows down. If you do not bow down, we will kill you. We will start a fire in this fiery furnace, and we will throw you into the fire and kill you if you don't bow down. Like, man, what a jerk. Jeez. He rained on his parade. My gosh, dude. Chill. But anyway, so, so uh, of course, he goes and starts playing this music, and, and Shadmach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, we're not doing that. That's crazy, man. I'm going to bow down to that thing. And so Daniel 3, verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made. There's a lot of eyes in here that I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue from my power? Uh-oh. Airbag. Pump the brakes. He just said the wrong words. He challenged their God. Now they're getting ready to get mad. And so, so he's like, what, what God is going gonna, is gonna to save you from the blazing furnace? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace... The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Whoa. You realize you're talking to the guy that, I mean, he could just say the word right now and have you thrown in there. They're like, let it be clear right now. We will never read my lips. Never bow down. To that statue. Kill us. We don't care. We will never do it. And stable people, they have, how do I word this? That stable people have unchanged, there, there are just some things that they'll draw a line in the sand and there are some things that, that will never be crossed. I will never cross that line. There are, some, there are some values, some commitments, some promises that a stable person makes and they would rather die than break that. And if you don't have any standards like that in your life, you should. There should be some things that you say, you know what, come, you know, high water. <laughs> come high water. Come whatever may come. Come Barstow summer or high water. Listen to me. Listen to me. There's just some things that I am not willing, I will not cave on this issue. I will not cave. There's no room for, uh, for, for, uh, I'm having a hard time with my words tonight. No room for compromise. I will not compromise on this. Do you have anything in your life that you are 100%, you know what, I'm willing to give a little ground on this or that, but I will not compromise on this. Do you have something like that? I, and, and I have things like that, like I'd, I'd rather die than compromise. I won't. I will not bow down to that statue. I don't care what you do, what you threaten to do to me. I will not give any ground. I won't give one inch in this area. 
You've got to have some things in your life like that. You've got to have some absolute, undeniable, black and white, this is it. I refuse. You will never get me to change on this. I won't change. And especially anything that comes to the word of God. If God's word says it, then that's it. Settles it. Even if I don't understand it, even if it's not what I wanted to hear, if God's word said it, then that's it. I'm not changing. It's going to be that way, whether it, whether you like it or not. And, and we've got to have some areas in our life that are like that. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had some standards that they were not willing whatsoever to even give one inch on. And, and you're not going to have guts to stand up to stuff like this if you're a quitter. If you quit at everything you do, when, the fire, when they turn the fire up, believe me, you will quit. You may say you won't, but if you can't stand up for anything right now when the fire's not on, I promise you, you will back down. You will. I, or when they threaten you with the lion, if you've never been able to take a stand on something so simple as, you know what, this family prays for their meal every single time. I don't care if the kids like it or not. We pray for our dinner. So that, that's simple. That's not that big of a thing. But if you, if you don't even have a standard like that, and then, you, and then you're going to say, oh, but I tell you what, man, if I was challenged with my faith, I, I wouldn't back down. Don't lie. You'd be the first to cave. You've got to get stable. You've got to have some, the, the line has been drawn in the sand. This will not be crossed. This shall not be crossed. You've got to have some standards. Stable people have standards. So this isn't, this isn't earth shaking here, but stable people, they have undeniable standards that will not be broken. And so let's look here at verse 19. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, hey, whatever, we're not bowing. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. Have you ever seen somebody so angry that their face is just like, ugh, distorted? I mean, I know people with anger issues, and they get to that level where their whole face gets distorted. And he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the blazing furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. Don't you just hate it when someone messes with your turban and your robe? That'll just ruin my day right there, man. You leave my turban alone. Anyway, verse 22, and because the king and his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. These guys didn't even get in the fire. They just got close enough. And, and I'm not talking about it started to mess with them and I can't breathe through it. It killed them. Grown men. It killed them getting this close to this fire. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego securely tied fell. They didn't even walk. They fell down into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Wait a minute, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Well, if you study this out, the fourth man, I know who that was. That was Jesus. Jesus in the Old Testament right there. He was in the fire. Verse 26, the Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped 
out of the fire. Can you imagine? Wouldn't that just be awesome? Everybody else thought you were done for and dead, and here you come walking out of the fire. That's a sweet feeling. When you were that stable, when you were that committed to the Lord, and here you are making it through an absolutely impossible circumstance. Then the high officers, officials, governors, advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Look at this. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Come on. Have you ever even been, you've gone camping, and you, and you didn't actually get in the campfire. I've never got into it. As a little boy, you're usually tempted to, but I never fully got into it. But I've just been close to the campfire, and I reek of smoke. I mean, I was around, you know, you could be around the campfire for three minutes, and your clothes will smell like smoke and for weeks until you wash them or whatever, and you didn't even get in it. But here we are, guys, talking about a fire that was so hot, it killed three grown men that just got close to it. And these guys were in that fire, in it, fell down, in it. And God brought them out. There was no marks on them. They didn't even smell like smoke. Wow. God can bring you through the fire. And people, you went through that? Are you? What? No way. You you don't even look. You don't even smell like smoke. But God can do it, man. Does he do it for double-minded, unstable people? I don't read any great stories about the double-minded in the Bible. All the heroes I read about were very stable, committed people to the Lord. All of them, David, Daniel, all these guys, they were stable, committed to the Lord. Why is that? Because stable people, they leave a mark on history. They actually do something that counts with their life. Unstable people, they may have a few minutes of glory. They may have a a few minutes of superstardom, but it doesn't last. It doesn't last. We need stable. Say it with me. Stable Christians. That don't get bored with this church thing. Don't get bored with hearing these fundamentals. Don't get bored with reading their Bible in the morning and praying every day. They don't, they don't get bored with it. They love it. And to the, to the outsiders, you're like, you're, the same. you're boring. You don't do anything fun. And listen, yes, yes, yes. Believe me. The peace of God that I have is a lot of fun. The depression that I don't have, it's a ton of fun, man. I love it. The joy that I have. So much better than, than, than what the world has to offer with their fun. Because the blessing of the Lord make a person rich and satisfied, but he adds no sorrow with it. And so I'm telling you right now, you're looking at a guy that has more fun than anybody in this world. You're like, well, what, what do you do for fun? Well, get up and drink coffee and read the Bible every day. I don't know. Might not sound that fun, but listen to me. But the joy and the peace that surpasses all understanding, it's a ton of fun. One more verse here for this is Isaiah 43, 2. Write, turn there, but write this down. Isaiah 43 and verse 2. Who's glad they came tonight? <laughs> Isaiah 43 and verse 2. And I love this verse, man. I've got this well documented in my Bible. But Isaiah 43, 2, it says, When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you won't drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The 
flames will not consume you. I love that verse because that tell, that doesn't tell me that, well, it's easy street from here on out. You will never have another battle. In your, it doesn't say that. But it does say when you do go through these things, the rivers of difficulty, when you do go through a flood, when you do go through the fire, I'm not going to let it get you. I'm not going to let it consume you. I'm going to bring you through that. Don't worry about it. But I'm telling you right now, it's really hard to stand on these verses if you're not stable and consistent. We're talking about stable people, consistent people. They're beautiful. And the third thing we'll say tonight is this. I don't have much time, but the third thing about how do stable people work? Well, I've shown you I mean, some of the things. They, can, they have this ability to do the same things over and over. They don't quit just because life gets tough. And one of the things I love about stable people is they impact the next generation. Because as a mature Christian, you're not only thinking about you and 2018 and, well, we may think about 2019 now. It's good. No. A mature Christian, they're thinking long term. They're looking at the big picture. I don't, just, I don't just want Jesus for me. I want my kids to serve Jesus. I want my grandkids to serve Jesus. I want my nephews and nieces. They, they, mature, stable people, they don't just care about them and themselves today. They care about the future generations. And we need people like that. And so, stable Christians, they impact the next generation. And one of my favorite quotes is, stay-at-home parents... Don't raise go-to-church kids. Leave that out there for you. Stay-at-home parents don't raise go-to-church. You, you don't expect, you, you, you don't, you don't, you're not committed to the Lord, but you're expecting to have, you know, the next great evangelist. on your, You're expecting them to be some kind of missionary or world changer, some fanatical Christian, and you're not? No, not going to happen. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at this real quick. And, of course, there are, you know, Instances where somebody came from a home that wasn't Christian and ended up, you know, being very successful for the Lord. But why should it have to be that way? Why couldn't we just be stable and raise our kids the right way right now? Why couldn't we just raise our kids the correct way, God's way right now? Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. And here's some commands that Moses gave to the children of Israel about how the Jewish people were to raise their kids. Look at this. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. If you aren't there, you can look on the screen. He said, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Not, you may want to mention this every now and then. You may, want to, you may want to quote some scripture every now and then to these kids now. No. The command of the Jewish people was, No. You listen right here. You will repeat the promises of God to your children again. And again, talk about them when you're at home, and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Sounds a little bit obsessive, doesn't it? Like, chill out, Moses. Well, no. This is how you get something into somebody's heart. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead. Like, my goodness, Moses, you sound like you're pretty fanatical about this. Well, he meant business. It says, tie them uh, on your forehead as reminders, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So he's saying, put it everywhere. And it doesn't surprise me when I go into a stable Christian's house to see Bible verses all over their walls. Any of you like that? I mean, you've got Bible verses everywhere. And, and I'm not, I mean, I, I, at our house, I'm not talking about me to make me look good, but 
Like my bathroom wall, Donnie's seen it. There's Bible verses plastered all over that wall. And it's because, like, when I'm in there, you know, we're brushing our teeth in the morning, I look up and I see a Bible verse. It's beautiful. Uh, you know, uh, whatever, you know, you're anything, it's just the Word of God is around you all the time. And, I mean, it looks tacky because they're on three-by-five cards. I didn't go out and get, like, you know, I didn't get some artist to paint a beautiful typographic verse. But at the same time, the Word of God is everywhere. We drive 35 minutes to school every day. And, you know, we're, we spend that time, the kids praying, quoting Bible verses to each other and all this stuff. And I'm just saying, it's that, cause I'm doing this because this is what the Word of God says to do. It says, when you're on the road, you should be talking about these promises. When you're at home, you should be talking about these promises. When you're laying down, when you're waking up, you should repeat them again and again to your children. And that's how you get something into somebody, is stable, consistent repeating of, of, of whatever it is. If you want to learn about basketball, you've you got to read about it all the time and watch it and, and, and get it into you. And a lot of people, are, they're not afraid to do that. But when you want to get the Word of God into you, it's the same thing. And if you want to impact your kids and your grandkids, it's got to be the exact same thing. I'm just going to have them put this verse on the screen. It's our last verse. But it's 2 Timothy 1.5 in the Passion Translation. And so Paul was writing to Timothy. And Timothy, uh, we don't, it never, never mentions his dad, but it does mention his mom and grandma. And Timothy, Paul used him to be, he, Paul put him as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And one of the most, you know, I mean, this is a big, a big church. And Timothy was a young man. And Paul puts him in charge of this big church in this big city. It was Paul's best church out of all of them. And he puts Timothy in charge of it. But 2 Timothy 1.5 in the Passion Translation, it says, as I think of your strong faith that was passed down through your family line. Wow. What a heritage. To have faith passed down to you through your family line. It began with your grandmother Lois, who passed it on to your dear mother Eunice. And it's clear that you too are following in the footsteps of their godly example. And that's beautiful. And I'm running out of time, but I'll say this, man. Shout out to you moms and grandmas that are that you're the you're the you're the spiritual one of the household. I mean, you know, God's will is that that, that you have a godly husband that'll take that reign. Sadly, there's a shortage of men that'll do that. But I've seen in my whole life godly moms, even married, unmarried, single, whatever, but they take the reins and they and they they bring those kids to church anyway. They read the Bible and they they pray with those kids anyway, whether dad does or not. And here's one instance of where we've got a, a man that ended up being one of the most important people in the whole New Testament. One of the most important people in all of the New Testament. We don't know anything about his dad, whether dad was around or not. But we do know that his mom and grandma were. And they didn't back down. They raised him in the ways of God. And Timothy was an absolute spiritual warrior and giant. And so with all of this being said tonight as we kind of close out. I just ask that you examine your life. Is your current life situation a result of your spiritual stability? Or maybe is your current situation a result of your spiritual instability? Where you're at right now, did you get there by being super stable? Or are you not where you want to be? And it's because you just haven't been a stable Christian. Well, you examine that. You know, you need to talk to God about that. I encourage you to do it. Either way, it is possible to fix this. It can be fixed. But it's going to take you actually putting in a little bit of effort. You actually 
doing the right thing, even when you don't feel like it. But anyway, that's a topic for another day. Let's go ahead and stand up together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.